and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, it's Pentecost, where we take a look at the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's listen. Well, my daughter Zoe, she started swim team uh, this summer, and so I was picking her up from practice this last week. And she ran up to me, and she gave me a styrofoam cup with a paper towel on top. I said, what's in the cup? Seems like a harmless question, right? And she said, oh, a baby bird's in the cup. Now, I didn't believe her until the cup started moving in my hands just a little bit. And sure enough, I took off the top and there was a baby bird. I think I got a picture of it because I wanted to show you guys just this little baby bird in a styrofoam cup. And my first thought is, what do I do with this? And she says, well, bring it home, of course. We need to save it. We need to rescue it. Apparently, this baby bird had been kicked out of the nest by its mother, and some girls from swim team saw it and thought, oh, we can't let that happen. We need to rescue this baby bird. It was a good opportunity to teach her that actually this is supposed to happen, where baby birds just can't live forever in the nest. At some point, the mommy birds kick them out, it teaches them to fly, and it also teaches them to live on their own. That was a challenging concept, I think, for my daughter to get, but eventually we brought the bird back and, you know, left it in the place she found it so that it could go and live its life. Well, this week, as I've been thinking about Pentecost, and I've been thinking about the Holy Spirit, this same sort of analogy kept coming back into my mind of this idea of being kicked out of the nest. Because you're usually kicked out of the nest before you feel ready. Maybe the mama bird thinks you're ready and says, nope, it's time to go, but we still cling to something. Go, I don't know if I'm quite ready to fly yet. And I thought about that concept whenever we as Presbyterians study the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not something that in the Presbyterian tradition we explore a whole lot. At times it can feel foreign to us even a little creepy, like, I don't know what to do with all of this. But today, we have an opportunity to study a, a challenging scripture, but a scripture that the Bible puts in front of us about the Holy Spirit. Because it's my belief that the Holy Spirit is essential to what it means to be a Christian. It really is a foundational element of our faith that is too often kind of pushed to the side. And so at times, as we get into our scripture today, you may feel like you're getting pushed out of the nest, but that's okay. Because we read the challenging scriptures together. That's why we gather as a community on Sunday mornings, is so we can do the interpretive work necessary together. And I guarantee you that by the end of the scripture today, you'll have a better idea of the Holy Spirit's role in your life. Now, the scripture that we're going to study comes from 1 Corinthians. So let's start with a little bit of background on the city of Corinth. Well, Paul started the first Christian church in Corinth. He spent 18 months in Corinth starting that church, and then he left to other places to plant more churches in those places. Well, Corinth was 50 miles from Athens, Athens, Greece. And Athens was known as the intellectual, sophisticated center of debate 
of the ancient world. Corinth wasn't. No, Corinth was known as the opposite of Athens. They were the crass kind of antithesis to everything that was Athens, even though they were 50 miles from one another. The more I studied about Corinth, the more I thought, oh, this is an ancient Las Vegas. Okay, that's what we're studying today. That's the city of Corinth. I even discovered that throughout the Roman Empire, there was a phrase, and the phrase was to act like a Corinthian, and that was slang. And that was slang for someone that was sexually promiscuous. You'd say, oh, they're acting like a Corinthian. So does that give you an idea of what the city of Corinth was like. Well, in that city, in the ancient world, Paul started a church. And then, of course, he left, and so the church wrote him a letter. And in the letter, they had some questions, and they they said some things, and so Paul is now responding to that letter. You'll see his responses, and you'll also see what the Corinthians said initially, because he includes those in quotations. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say. So he's quoting the Corinthians there. And then Paul responds, But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, so this church in Corinth, they wrote this letter to Paul. And that letter has been lost to history. We don't have it anymore. All we have is Paul's reply letter, which is what we call 1 Corinthians. And in his reply letter, he's quoting something they said in their initial letter. He's quoting a popular Corinthian slogan. I have the right to do anything. Well, based on what you know about the Corinthians, does that sort of slogan surprise you? Probably not. No, the Corinthians believed in excessive autonomy, right? I, I have the right to do anything, whatever I want. Well, in some way, we as Americans tend to agree with that, don't we? We live in a very individualistic society. We don't live in a communal society. And so one's personal rights are very, very important to us, which is good, but can also be taken too far. Well, Paul is responding to a very similar situation in Corinth. And he's saying, okay, that's true. You do have the right to do anything, but that doesn't mean that everything is beneficial. I mean, we have the right to do all sorts of things that aren't actually good for us, don't we? I mean, if I wanted to, I could eat fried food for every single meal. I have that right here in America but that wouldn't be very beneficial to me, would it? Paul says more so, some of the things that we have the right to do will actually lead us not to freedom, but to a place of slavery. He says, don't allow yourself to be mastered by anything. Yes, we have the freedom to develop whatever habits we want, but some of those habits will lead to addiction, to a spiritual slavery, not to freedom. And so you can see the back and forth that Paul is having with this church in Corinth. Now he quotes another one of their popular slogans. The next verse, you say, food for the stomach 
and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. That's a fun saying, right? (laughs) The Corinthians are basically saying, who cares what happens to our bodies? I mean, who cares what we eat or or how we treat our bodies? Because eventually our bodies are going to die. They're already decaying. And, you know, then we'll go be with God in heaven. So it's all good, right? Here's Paul's response. Paul says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So here's the first big point that Paul is making. The body, our physical bodies, are for the Lord. Yes, your body is the Lord's. Your body matters, and how you treat your body matters. Why? Because it is a gift from God, and it's a gift that we can then use for God's purposes and to do God's will in the world. Now, that is what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians, but honestly, we sometimes think a bit like the Corinthians, don't we? We think, okay, someday we'll die, and our bodies will be no more, but then our souls will go be with God in heaven. And Paul would disagree with that logic. No, Paul would say, yeah, one day you will die, and God will resurrect you and your bodies, just like God resurrected Jesus. I mean, think to the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is something that we recite every Sunday, and it was written in the second century. Christians in the second century got together and said, we need to say what it is that we believe. And in that Apostles' Creed, they they say, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Do you see the importance that they're putting on one's physical bodies? Why is that important to Paul and to those early Christians? Well, it's because it recognizes that our bodies are a gift from God to be used for God. We don't get to just use them and abuse them and discard them at the end of this life like the Corinthians were so apt to do. I heard a saying once, pay attention to how you live in your 30s because it's going to profoundly affect the quality of your life in your 40s. And I thought there's some truth to that. Probably in every decade of our life, how we treat ourselves matters. There's a great book that you may have read It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Now, that book is about trauma and the ways that one's body can hold trauma for years or even decades after the initial encounter. The book recognizes that the body often knows what is happening even before the mind is consciously aware of it. Give you an example. I remember once that I was getting a little bit of a tightness in my chest. It was kind of bothering me. It wasn't anything major, but it was enough that I went to Sarah and I said, I'm having this little thing. It was years ago, and I was like, I don't know why I'm having this. And Sarah immediately could list three things in my life that were stressful. Now, I mentally wasn't aware of those things until she said that. And I thought, oh yeah, of course. Of course I'm stressed, and my body knew it before my mind really understood it. 
At times, it's like our bodies are screaming out to us, hey, pay attention. This is happening. And in the book, the book, the author says that people who have experienced trauma, we tend to think of it as something that your mind goes through. And he said, well, oftentimes the body will then create seemingly unconnected illnesses like a sore neck or migraines that are really connected to that initial trauma. Because his point is that you cannot separate the body from the mind. They are deeply connected. And that's the same point that Paul is making, except he adds another layer, the spiritual. The body, the mind, the soul, all of those are deeply connected, or we might even say interconnected. And that's the way God designed us. And we do a disservice to ourselves when we disconnect those. When we disconnect body from mind, or mind from soul, or soul from body. Because God designed us to have all of those things working in unison together. This is the point that Paul's trying to make to this church in Corinth. Now he's going to follow this up by using an example, an example that he thinks really drives this point home. And it's going to be a surprising example for probably most of us. It's the example of prostitution. Now that example isn't going to be as applicable to us today because it's generally accepted that prostitution is immoral. But not if you're a Corinthian. No, in Corinth, prostitution was not only legal, but it was encouraged. Because again, think about how they view one's body. It doesn't matter, right? It's just your body. Use it however you want. Well, Paul is trying to make the point that one's body is more than just flesh and bone. There is a deeply spiritual component to you. So here's how he makes that point. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Spend some time reflecting on that verse today. There's some, there's some meat there. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitutes? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis there. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So Paul is quoting early Genesis, that story of Adam and Eve being united in marriage, and God looks upon them and says, yes, this is good, because the two will become one flesh. In the culture of the Corinthians, and let's be honest, in our culture as well, we often just think of sex as a purely physical act, But in truth, Paul's making the point that it's actually a deeply spiritual act, and you cannot separate the two. It's the actual uniting of the two becoming one. Now, up until this point, you are probably saying, hey, I thought today was Pentecost. I thought we were going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, you're tracking. You're right. We are going to talk about that because Paul, he's laid the groundwork on taking this low view of the body that the Corinthians have, and he's saying, you know what? 
It's not just a body. There's a spiritual component going on as well. And so now he's going to connect all the dots together. He says this, Do you not know that your bodies, what we've been talking about this whole time, are temples of the Holy Spirit, that spiritual component of you? The Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul's conclusion here is that your body is the temple of God. Yes, God has joined the spiritual and the physical together in you. In Jesus' day, the temple was the most holy dwelling place of God. They had synagogues in every town, just like we have churches in every town. But they believed that there was only one temple. And the temple is where the very presence of God actually dwelled. That was what they believed. Well, that all changed in AD 70, when the temple was torn down. Uh, Jerusalem was attacked, and the temple was burned to the ground. And so they obviously wondered, what happens to the presence of God if there is no temple anymore? Well, decades before that happened, Paul is already trying to tell them that they're missing the point if they think that one physical location is where God's presence can dwell. He says, no, no, no. You are the temple of God. Each and every one of you, it is in your body that the Spirit of God dwells. That's the big point that Paul is trying to make about the Holy Spirit. I mean, another way to say that is to say you are the very intersection where heaven and earth meet. That's the physical and the spiritual coming together. Think back to the Genesis account. When God created us, the physical, out of the dust of the earth, but then breathed life into us, breathed the spirit into us, we are always both. So based on this teaching of Paul, And based on what we know about Pentecost, what we're learning is that we can never view ourselves as only physical or only spiritual. We are always both. Think about what happens when we view ourselves as only physical. We end up idolizing the body. And our culture does a fair amount of idolizing the body, doesn't it? It cares so much about what we look like and our appearance. There's a lot of idolizing that goes on. That's when you view yourself as only physical. But on the flip side, if you view yourself as only spiritual, that's not good either. Because then you might act like the Corinthians. Well, who cares about the body? Treat it however you want. You'll get a new one someday. That's not helpful either. The point that Paul is making is that because of the Holy Spirit in you, then we are always both. Our bodies are a beautiful gift of God to be used to glorify God because our physical bodies house the invisible presence of God. Now, it's very easy for us to be in touch with our physical selves, isn't it? It's because our physical bodies are always screaming out for our attention. I mean, we get hungry, and we feel it. We know it's not a comfortable feeling. Or we'll walk into a room and think, oh, it's too hot. 
or too cold because our bodies are letting us know that. Or we'll wake up in the morning and we'll have aches and pains because our bodies are letting us know that. Our bodies are really always screaming for attention. And so we're very aware of our physical selves. But the spiritual self, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, that is just as real as your physical body. And yet that's often overlooked or ignored because the Spirit is an invisible presence. No less real, but not as obvious. So the goal today, based on what we're reading, is to get in touch with the Spirit inside of you. Because if it is true that God's Spirit dwells in you, if you are the temple of God, then we need to spend a lot more time actually unearthing some of that and understanding more deeply how God's Spirit dwells in us. And so I wanted to to close today with three ways that we can get in better touch with the Spirit. And these are three things that I found in Scripture about what the Spirit can do for each and every one of us. Here's the first one. We can learn to listen to the Spirit's voice in our lives. I take this from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, when John says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, there's a recognition there that the Spirit is talking to us, that the presence of God within us isn't a silent presence. It may be a still, small voice, but it's still speaking. And the Spirit of God speaks both to congregations to churches, and also to individuals, if we have the ears to hear. That's a discipline to learn how to get in touch with the Spirit inside of you and to hear that still, small voice. So that's the first one. We listen to the Spirit's voice. Here's the second thing I would say. We can be guided by the Spirit. I take that from Paul's letter to the Galatians when he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Another way to say that is allow ourselves to be guided in this life by the Spirit. The Spirit inside of you can act as a bit of a moral compass that is always leading you in the direction of God. There are times in our life where we don't know what direction to go, but we always have that moral compass in us. And if we can learn to hear that voice of God, then we can be led, we can be guided through this life. So we hear the Spirit's voice, we commit to be guided by this Spirit, and then here's the last thing I think we can do. We can be taught by the Spirit. I take this from Jesus' words in the Gospel of John when he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Well, I believe that the Spirit of truth has come. Isn't that the message of Pentecost? The Spirit of truth is here, and the Spirit of truth dwells inside of you. And so we then can be taught by that Spirit everything that is true if we learn to listen and if we learn to be guided by this Spirit. Now I'll go back to where we started from. As Presbyterians, this can feel like being pushed out of the nest a little bit. So we're very comfortable learning about God the Father and Jesus. 
but the Spirit can sometimes be a bridge too far. And so I encourage you to spend this week exploring all that the Scriptures say about the Holy Spirit. Because it is my belief that the Spirit of God is present here today and is present within you every day, wherever you go. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.